0: This is Corolla Digital. Hey, everyone, it's me, Allison Rosen. This week on Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I sat down with Neil Brennan, and we talked about relationships, being codependent, narcissism, sex, comedy, jealousy, and wishing more people would tell you when you're right. No one ever says, "Hey, you are right," and yeah. it's. It's uh they should. That's all I want from life is people to say, Hey, you're right. More me than that. Me and Dave Chappelle used to have like... a joke that that my on his deathbed, my dream for his deathbed was for him to go, Neil was right and then die. Like that's <laughs> what I want. And he wanted the opposite. He wanted me to go, like, Chappelle had some good points. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I'm I'm constantly obsessed with people just like uh because I'm the youngest of ten, yeah. So I was constantly being like not listened to. Mm-hmm. So now I now I'm really projecting my personality. Subscribe to Allison Rosen as your new best friend on iTunes or go to allisonrosen.com. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. I love you. Allison's your new best friend from Level Five City in Glendale. It's this week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who always wanted the Playboy channel for free. Hi, folks, and welcome back to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And once again, that music always makes me smile. It's such a good find from Colonel Jeff there, and uh, they get better every week. That's the Stanley Brown Jr. Orchestra and the Gina Jaramillo Dancers. Featuring boy tenor Andy Courtright, asking the musical question, What's the difference between a violin and a viola? And when Colonel Jeff, just a few minutes ago, said, uh, How about that as a question? I said, Well, is it, a, is it a joke? Is there something in it? And I said, Or is it just a serious question? He said, No, it's a serious question. And I said, You mean you want to do that on, on, on the show? And uh, he thought so, and I thought so, too. And you know what? When you think about it, it's a pretty good question. Andy Courtright wanted to know, what's the difference between a violin and a viola? Oddly enough, I think I know it. I I, I played cello my whole life and played in string quartets many times. And, uh, well, I was a music major at school and made my living at music before getting into comedy. Uh, If anyone knows something about the difference between a violin and viola, it ought to be me. I, I, I don't know a ton about it, but I think I know the basics of it. First of all, the violin is the classic romantic instrument. It's the instrument that all really handsome guys played in 1790 when they saw a really pretty young woman in the front row there, and they thought, who knows? Maybe she and I could have, well, one of the nice little pastries on the table after the show. and uh, But the violin, you all know what a violin is. You know it's not big. There are guys, obviously many, many female violinists too, but the, the thing about the violin that always got me was because it's so small, because the fingerboard is so small, because the space between the strings is so small, if you get a guy who has guy-like hands, or larger hands than guy-like, if you get a guy who just as easily could have been an electrician or a plumber and has really, really large hands, well, he can play. I think Isaac Stern, one of the greatest violinists of all time, always had very large hands and very large fingers. And how he got them on those strings, well, he certainly did, and he got them to move pretty fast. But that's that's a violin. And they have, uh, obviously they have all stringed instruments, have bows. But the thing about a viola is that it's larger than the violin. It's thicker, it's longer, it's wider. It has a larger fingerboard. And if you know, if you you see symphony orchestras, you can see everyone playing the violins on the left or, or from the performer's perspective, stage right. And then in the middle... Sometimes you'll see the viola players, the viola section, and they really do look different. It's a beautiful instrument, a gorgeous instrument, in, well, in a string quartet. It gives a wonderful tone, and the strings are a different tuning. It plays to a different clef. It's called the viola clef or the treble clef, I think, and a cellist, like me, can play on that clef, too, but... Uh, It's not done that often, and the thing about a viola is that it's bigger, deeper, it's written differently, and Dr. Chris just said before, he had a friend who specifically learned the viola, and specifically wanted to play the viola, and to professionally play the viola, because his friend always said, you get a lot more work because not that many people play the viola. And that made good sense to Colonel Jeff and me. And then I pointed out that I'll bet you a dollar that viola player has been telling that story his entire life. That In conversations, either with people in an orchestra or at a cocktail party or anywhere, meeting people from the family, he's told the story of, well, you know... There's a reason I wanted to play the viola instead of the violin and here it is and he's told that story and people listen to it and then they walk away thinking should have played the violin but it's a terrific instrument the viola it's an important instrument and I think I hope for Andy Courtright that uh, that helps him understand the difference between a violin and a viola and by the way curiously there's there's some there's some pattern here, because Andy's last name is Courtright, which starts with C-O-R-T, and I thought, wow, it's sort of like the viola there, because he's just one letter away from Cartwright, and how do you spend your whole life going, no, no, that's an O, it's Courtright, so he spent his whole life saying, no, no, it's not Cartwright, it's Courtright, but uh, Andy, I hope that helps, and if... If you are, if if you, that is your name, Courtright, and of course it's your name, Courtright. I would suggest if you have some uh, hobby time coming up, learn the viola, and uh, it might just be the right instrument for you. And buy Amazon. That's right, Amazon. Still the greatest place in the world to buy anything you can possibly think of, with the exception, of course, of an actual Amazon. If you get one of those, remember, a tall, muscular, gorgeous, sexual woman, do nothing. If she's the one who brings your Amazon goods to your house, do nothing. Invite her in. Give her an ice glass of iced tea. Call us immediately here at the show, and we will come over and get the actual Amazon. Now, this is Colonel Jeff, Dr. Chris, and I who will be there. We will all come over just to make sure she's on the up and up. Now, you can't come with us, but we'll let you know if she's exactly what she says she is. In any case, though... What you do with Amazon, as you know, you get any thought in the head you want, any product you've ever wanted in your life, anything you can possibly imagine, no matter where it's made in the world, it doesn't matter what the product is or who makes it, you can get it on Amazon. And what you do is you open your laptop, you open whatever your device is, and you go, you punch Amazon right in, right? Wrong! Wrong! You don't! You don't do that! You don't do that! You don't ever, ever go right to Amazon. You know why? Because what you do is... Go to our website, which is LarryMillerPodcast.com. I know it sounds like I'm saying that perfectly just because I'm reading it off the screen. Okay, I am. But you go to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. And on our screen, there is a little banner there that says Amazon. You click on that banner that says Amazon. That takes you to the full Amazon area to their whole area, but now, now you order whatever you want. Now you get whatever you want. Now you just join Amazon and getting whatever you want. But having gone to our website and hit our banner first, Amazon then sends us a percentage of what you order. And we like that because, as we love to say here, it helps us buy paint for the walls here. We've never actually painted the walls here. But if we did, it would help us buy paint for the walls here. So uh, please do that. If you want to go to Amazon, and why wouldn't you? You can get anything in the world you've ever wanted, and you go to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Oh, that still sounds like shaving a haircut two bits to me. LarryMillerPodcast.com. And you hit the Amazon banner on that, and then we get some of the dough. And everyone's just as happy. So remember, it's not just Amazon on our website. It's PayPal. PayPal, remember, is where you go to we have a little system here that whatever bar you like in your area, doesn't matter if you've ever gone there, but if you've ever passed a bar, just a regular bar, not a fancy bar, not a bar with really loud music and flashing lights. It's funny, that's what fancy means to me, <laughs> that where they don't leave you alone just to read a book and drink. If it has music that's really interrupting you and, and lights that are flashing in the back of your head, <clears throat> pardon me, so what what you, do, what you do then, though, is go to that bar. Find out what a drink costs there. Or maybe it's your favorite bar. And you find out what a drink costs, send us here on PayPal the equivalent of three drinks. One for each of us, one for Colonel Jeff, one for Dr. Chris, and one for me. And we still haven't, we're very grateful. People have been so generous. We still haven't used any of the dough for that. We're really planning something big, and it's going to be in, in the area here. It's not the joy of planning big things, and for you as well as for me, the joy of planning big things is that the truth is, in the end, they're really not big things, and that's what makes them big. It's far more fun in all of life to do things that make you. Not feel small. The word small doesn't come in there. But the more regular and and the the less fully planned, the less fancy they are. I mean it comes down to would you rather have a sixty-seven Dodge or a brand new anything? Now I know technically you want a brand new something today as a car, but you you know as well as I do. You see commercials for car companies where they so they show like an an older man cleaning off a beautiful, like a fifty-seven Oldsmobile or 57 Buick, and the son is watching, and the son says, that's my dad, he used to build those cars, he used to build those Buicks, looks great, doesn't it? Those are great cars, and he built great cars, and all his friends did with them. and now he's retired, and he watches that car, and you're watching that car, and you're thinking, that's a gorgeous car, that's a fabulous car, I want that car, and then he says, that's why I build them today, too, that's what the son says, he works over at the factory, and he shows you the car, he has which is, well, a new one, and you know what? You, you, you could be den for the neck up and still just say, I like the father's car better. That's what you really want is the father's car. So you know what? We'll, we'll get to some of the nicer places that are nice for us. Go to PayPal and send us some of that dough, and we'll, we'll let you know where we wind up. And now it's time for the joke. Joke. <laughs> of the week. That's right, the joke of the week. The weekly joke that I just love to put on the show, and Colonel Jeff and I love finding them, and Dr. Chris loves hearing them. Everyone loves the whole concept of the joke of the week, and uh, I'm glad you do too. So uh, here we go. This is the joke of the week for this week, which makes it the joke of the week. Two guys are out camping in the woods. And uh, I always love when a joke starts like this, by the way, because especially for me, what are they doing? I don't know. What are they doing? You don't know. Are they hunting? Who knows? Whatever they're doing, they're two guys, and they're out there, and they're camping in the place you camp. I guess the woods, or it's out, and there are cliffs, whatever it is, and they're camping. And one guy, what do you know? All of a sudden, they wake up one day, and there's a bear, a big bear a big, rough, growling bear, a serious, giant bear, a no-kidding-around bear. Not a bear where you say, oh, look, isn't that cute? He's a bear. A bear where you instantly say, this is death coming right into our camp right now. And the bear does that big lumbering in, and the bear then sees the two guys standing there with their coffee pot over the fireplace they built and the bear stands up and gives that great that great bear roar and moves his head around and no one sane would still be there you wouldn't and I wouldn't and they didn't they got up to run like mad to get away from the bear they didn't grab anything at all they left the tent it's just the bear right there and they got up and uh, one of them just reached over quickly and grabbed his sneakers as they were running out And they start running and running and running, and the bear is running after them because he's a bear. That's what bears do, and they're running as fast as they can. The bear is running as fast as he can, which is pretty fast. And then one of the guys takes a moment and says, hold on a second, and he stops to put the sneakers on. He says, I have to put my sneakers on, and his friend says to him, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? Even if you get those sneakers on, if you tie them perfectly— you, you still can't outrun the bear. And he says, that's not what I need to do. I'm not going to try to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you. Now, we all, we all really like that joke here. Just because, first of all, it's another perfectly immoral thing. These guys are friends. They're out together. They've taken time off from their jobs and families and their pals. Who knows how often they hang out? Probably all the time. And then a bear shows up. And one is instantly willing to say, you know what? It's better if he eats you piece by piece. I'm just going to put these sneakers on and get out past you. And they, these are not the, the, the classic bears, by the way. So many horrible things happen where people think they can be friends of the bear. And they think, oh, the bear likes me and I like the bear. And you know what? I'm If you're one of those folks who thinks like that, I, I well, I... I think you're probably wrong because a lot of horrible things happen where the bear then just remembers, oh, that's right, I'm a bear. And after a week or a year of hanging out at the camp and reading magazines with you, suddenly he remembers, that's right, my whole job is to skin this guy, to peel him like a grape, and then eat everything. But in any case, I like that joke. He puts the sneakers on just to say... No, I'm I'm not going to try to outrun the bear. I'm just going to outrun you. So uh, we hope you like that and that it doesn't ever come to that. We hope that the horrible things in life for you and for me and for everyone here at the studio always come into jokes, that they're just jokes, that all you have to do is laugh at some guy trying to get those sneakers on, which leads us neatly, as ever... Into the Poetry Corner. That's right, the Poetry Corner. That's right, the corner of poetry. Or as we say here, the Poetry Corner. And uh, this, is, uh, this is a really good one because I don't think we've ever read any Edgar Allan Poe. And uh, what a magnificent writer he is and was. And uh, he didn't live a long life. It was uh, He was from the American Romantic period. He was born in 1809 in Boston, oddly enough. And then he died uh, in 1849, which is only 40 years old. And uh, he died of a bunch of different things they wrote down on the form of, uh, well, the brain was a little swollen here. And, well, he might have had this here. And, well, maybe he died of things that uh, in his life he shouldn't have been doing. And maybe one of them, well, maybe one of them was alcohol. But you know what? He did so much as an essayist, as a poet. And he really moved the short story forward. He was probably one of the first American writers to dive into, figure out what a short story was and why it was different from a novel or a novella. And this is a poem that I thought was really lovely here. It's by Edgar Allan Poe, and someone who had, well, a lot of unhappiness in his life, but he sure knew how to write about the things he wanted, and he sure knew something about caring about someone, and he sure knew something about women and love. So this is called Annabelle Lee by Edgar Allan Poe. It was many and many a year ago in a kingdom by the sea, that a maiden there lived, whom you may know, by the name of Annabel Lee. And this maiden, she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. I was a child, and she was a child, in this kingdom by the sea, but we loved with a love that was more than love, I and my Annabel Lee with a love that the winged seraphs of heaven coveted her and me. And this was the reason that long ago in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out of a cloud, chilling my beautiful Annabel Lee, so that her high-born kinsman came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulcher in this kingdom by the sea, the angels, not half so happy in heaven, went envying her and me. Yes, that was the reason, as all men know, in this kingdom by the sea, that the wind came out of the cloud by night, chilling and killing my Annabel Lee. But our love, it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we of many far wiser than we, and neither the angels in heaven above nor the demons down under the sea can ever dis-ever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabelle Lee, and the stars never rise but I feel the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And so all the night tide, I lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride, in the sepulcher there by the sea, in her tomb by the sounding sea. Isn't that nice? Isn't that lovely? And remember the joy of writing about it, especially someone like Poe, who at that time in his life, what did he have Who did he have? Was he making a lot of money? No. And you know what? He was getting by, but he made his mark in the world. And sure enough, part of that mark is what you and I are doing right now. Isn't that nice, the rhythm of that, though, by the way, of continuing to bring the line of the beautiful Annabelle Lee in every stanza, and it just comes in. It sounds like like being aboard ship, by the way, especially the last stanza of For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams Of the beautiful Annabel Lee And the stars never rise But I feel the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabel Lee It really does seem like a ship cutting through the waves there and catching, catching the wind. So that's Annabelle Lee by Edgar Allan Poe. And I hope you really liked it. And I'll bet you did, for the same reason that I like it here and that Colonel Jeff and Dr. Chris like it here, too. It's nice to write about someone you care about that much. And that brings us into, remember something, so many movies are made about good love like that. So many movies are made about caring for someone like that. That's, That's one of the reasons, by the way, that it became such a good part of the show for me to put in the magic movie moment. That's right. That's what we're going to do now. The magic movie moment for a movie that you love, that you know so well, where you hear the sound of it, you see the actors in it, you, you see the way the director was telling the story, and it, it's meant so much to you. And all the times you've seen it, oh, you can have a magic movie moment if you've just seen something once. But mostly, certainly in my mind, it means that you've seen it a lot, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 times, and every time you do in your life, every time you see it come on, and there are movies we all have where you see it come on, and you say, oh, drat, now I have to stay up and watch this, but you know you're glad to do it, and especially when it's a movie, it can be be drama, it can be comedy, and when it's a movie that really means something to you because it's so well done. Remember, that can happen in comedy as well as in drama, and they are, there are parts of each in the other one. And this time, this magic movie moment, is about something that we all think of as as a comedy, the Naked Gun series, and all those wonderful Naked Gun movies, and of course, starring someone who started out in Hollywood and became very successful as a a star, a leading man, a handsome guy who was always very dramatic. But then he just grew into how that happened. No one knows. But what a funny guy that Leslie Nielsen is. He had so many things down pat in life. And this magic movie moment was something that Colonel Jeff pointed out to me. He just watched it. I saw that movie just a couple of weeks ago, and he just watched it, The Naked Gun. And I saw, I talked about on the show here, I saw also a couple of weeks before that the fabulous Forbidden Planet, which is from, I think, 1955, which is, oh, Leslie Nielsen, Walter Pigeon, the great Anne Francis, Earl Holloman, whom I adore and, and met here at a car wash a couple of years ago such a great cast, so well made. And then to see Leslie Nielsen come into something and perform like these Naked Gun pictures. And this is Leslie Nielsen in the Naked Gun, and I watched a scene in it that the colonel had uh, had put up on the uh, on the screen there, and it was it was it was a scene in the movie with the wonderful Joe Grafazzi. If you don't know that name, Joe Grafazi, F-A-S-I. And uh, Joe Grafazi is a great actor, so many good parts, so many great movies and so many great ways to tell a story. And Joe, the same in a way as Leslie Nielsen, knew just the right way to play a certain part. Leslie Nielsen knocks on the door and it's a shack by the sea and it's and Joe comes out and it has a, a gangsterish feel from 20 40 60 80 years ago just it feels like say it's just a little shy they don't overperform it and they don't do a bad they do a fabulous job but it's just a little shy of say what are you doing here anyway it's just it's just wonderful how they touch in that world and they it's just so great, Leslie Nielsen, as the cop, the detective, is saying to this guy, "Say what happened to this?" And uh, I need some information from you. And the guy says, "Yeah, well, you ain't gonna get it." And then they uh, they have the 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 fake tough scene. He grabs him by the lapels and says, y- "You're gonna tell me everything I need to know." And then, "No, I'm not." And then they wind up he winds up saying, "Well, maybe you are now." And he takes out a twenty dollar bill and. Gives it to the guy says, I can't remember anything. And he, the guy takes the 20 and says, well, may I, maybe I can remember some things. And he gives, takes out another 20 and gives him that. And the guy says, all right, I'll tell you this. And then he tells him. And then it's so well done because they so smoothly move now into the guy wants to know something. And Leslie Nielsen says, well, I don't think I can remember that. And the guy very calmly takes one of those 20s and says, how about this? Do you remember now? And Leslie Nielsen just takes it and says, well, I remember some things. And the guy gives him back the 220s he just gave him. And then they go through the Leslie Nielsen tells him what he needs to know. And there's more of the scene. I'm not going to tell you. Well, I've told you pretty much everything now. And then Leslie Nielsen gets another one or 220s from the guy, from the guy who had nothing. And then gives him other information. It's just so good. It's not that it's the greatest scene ever made, but when you see that when in the movie like that, the movie is so good. Leslie Nielsen is so good. Joe Grafazi is so good. And that scene is so good they play it just right. There's just a sprinkling of silliness on it, which is wonderful for comedy. That's a great compliment. And they both did a great job. It Was very well directed. It's one of those things where you just see a shot. It's like, I think it maybe one shot. They don't cut it. They're no over the shoulder shots. They're no ways to look different ways to look at the guy. It's it, it really has a nice solid American comedy view, not unlike vaudeville. It's the com- the camera's right on these two guys. It's very very good, and it makes you feel that good, which is the whole point of a magic movie moment. Because you know what, you realize, get a load of these guys in their lives getting to a point where they could make a scene like this, in a movie like this, and they were so good at it. So you know what, that's why it's a pleasure to say that's a magic movie moment for me this week in The Naked Gun. See that sometimes. See the see Forbidden Planet sometime if you've never seen it. If you've seen it a hundred times like me, see it again. And you know what, though? Boy, that Leslie Nielsen. I know the colonel said it's sort of like he's my favorite guy in the world and we've talked about him before, but I think he sure deserves it. And uh, I think he's smiling now wherever he is. Well, wherever it is, it's it's not in the back room here. He's He's not getting a cup of water here. Well, you know what, though? There are parts of movies. I love show business. I love being a storyteller. I love being an actor and a comic and a writer. I'm made for it, and I love it very much. I love talking to you right now. And you know what, though? There are parts and times in, say, the movie business that are so much fun. And it's not that people—sometimes people get really upset ...about show business or about their jobs in general. Sometimes they say, well, I don't like my boss. Well, I don't like the guy I work with. Well, I should have gotten that promotion. And they just spend their lives being sour. And you know what? Oh, I'm not an idiot. I'm not a complete idiot. I've felt sour, too, a lot of times in life. But, boy, I'll tell you what. When you're in show business and you have the fun of working regularly and getting parts in things... And that's why I wanted to tell you about this one. I hadn't thought about this in a long while. I've talked before about Universal, about Universal Pictures. I had an office there a long time, nine years, in a terrific company at Shady Acres. And it's a wonderful lot, Universal. And I was a writer there, and we pitched shows, and we did really well. But I was also an actor there on, on the Universal lot. I was in, well many movies there. The Nutty Professor movies were shot there, and the Princess Bride movies were shot there. And uh, I almost said Princess Diaries. I always mix those up. But you know what? There was more than once or twice that uh, that I got to stay in a star trailer. Now, there are trailers on every set, and regular trailers are just terrific. They're fine for... Actors, for me, for everybody, you get to stay in a trailer. And you know what, though? Uh, Every so often, it's happened a few times to me, folks, well, get to like you on the set, the people who work for the movie, on the movie with you. And you get to the movie one day, and they say, you know, we put you in so-and-so's trailer today. He's not here. And uh, they're called star trailers. Now, just to let you know, they're not fancy the way you think they might be or the way I thought they might be. It's not as if they're they're covered in red velvet and they look like a tour bus from a movie, but they're just great trailers. They're called fifth wheel and they and they're on the sets there and I'll tell you what. It's not that they're fancy, but they're big and they have the sides that pop out and they have full kitchen and a place to eat. You have a full bedroom if you want to go to sleep there and uh many naps I've taken on those couches where you just, you just put some of the wardrobe clothes down on, you know, on one of those pillows and, and you can really hit it. And they have a a full TV, which with all sorts of cable channels. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because twice I was in one of these where they also got the, the Playboy channel. Now, there's only one thing to say about the Playboy Channel, and I think that works in the name. Just saying the Playboy Channel. Now, it doesn't mean a ton to me to say, "Hey, look, the Playboy Channel." But even as a grown-up, as you know, you're married and have kids. I I went to. I used to come early, even on days I wasn't working on a couple of these sets, because it was at, at Universal, and I also had an office there where I was writing, and I could get to after taking the kids to school. I could get to the set there, at seven thirty or eight o'clock in the morning, just to be in the trailer, and watch the Playboy Channel. You could get a great meal for breakfast, and sit there and just chat with some of the other guys, drivers, actors, whatever it is. It wasn't hiding anything. Everybody knew me there, and everybody who the folks who gave me the the trailer knew I was there. <laughs> well, you're not working today? No, not today. I'm just here for the the great breakfast, and then I'm going to go uh, work in the trailer. Yeah, what are you going to do? I'm going to watch the Playboy Channel. That's what I'm going to do. I wouldn't think that. I I brought my computer with me. I brought the laptop. I brought all the scripts, everything I needed, all the legal pads and all the pens. But when I got in there, well, it's so relaxing to just sit in one of those big Barker lounger chairs and with a remote in your hand and turn on the TV and say... Oh, what the heck? I wonder what's on the Playboy channel. Because the pure truth is, I don't need to see a morning news show. I've been on a bunch of them. I want to be on them another thousand times. I love doing it, and I enjoy the folks and respect the folks who make them. But it's not as if I need to watch them and find out what's going on this this week. And so when I would turn the TV on, I would start by reading the paper. It was either... Well, they'd have three or four papers delivered to the guy's trailer. So you're sitting there with the Wall Street Journal pretending you have to check on something. And then I said, well, wait a minute. Let me just turn on the Playboy channel. And I would watch that for just a minute or two because it's really, you know, you respect the folks who are just working. But it's just a minute or two. And that's all you really need to see, even if you haven't seen anything. But that's, again, what you say to yourself. It's just a minute or two. And it's not a minute or two. You watch it for an hour or two, and then you, when you, if you finally become mature enough to say, "Look, this is this is ridiculous. Let me just take all my stuff over to the office, which is only a five or ten-minute walk away, and might as well work there. Don't have to sit there." By the way, they had a TV with cable too. You could watch the Playboy Channel there if you wanted to, but I didn't because I had a trailer with it in it. And that was so neat to say you're in one thing, to t- to make use of a lot like that. See, that's the thing about show business. It's not that it's so fancy, but if you love it, and if you're lucky enough, like me, well, you have an office over there where you're writing a script, and that's wonderful. Well, you have a part on the set, and this stage over here, 24 or 27, and that's wonderful. And you really have a chance to be good in these things. And that's wonderful. And to get to know people, the producers, and the cinematographers, and everyone on the set, there was one guy I always liked, Jim Brubaker. He was uh, he was he grew and was promoted through all the ranks of moviemaking. And for a while, in fact, he was the the head of all production at Universal. And there are many different titles for that, but he really did well. And his name, by the way, you'll see it on fifty movies you love really good movies produced by Jim Brubaker and he was a real he was a real day-to-day hands-on producer of movies like the right stuff and so many things but he was also an interesting cool tough guy and i just liked him one i'm t- the reason i'm bringing this up is because my wife and i and the kids went to costco one uh, weekend on a saturday or sunday and we used to love costco i used to really think this is the greatest place in the world and they uh, they had a display there with Ralph Lauren shirts, thick flannelly shirts that are made in a print form, really thick. And uh, they have the Ralph Lauren symbol on the pocket there. Fourteen dollars these were. Fourteen dollars. That's pretty terrific for a big Ralph Lauren shirt. Fourteen dollars. And I got one of these. I said, "Honey, I got to get one of these." And I got one and I wore it to the set the next day. I wore it to work at Universal the next day. And that first day of work on this movie, one of them, that, that Jim Brubaker was producing, and from a hundred feet away, and they were in between scenes and Jim and the director and the cinematographer and some of the executives and some of the some of the folks from the studio are right there underneath the, this Oh, the, the canvas top there, and they're in between scenes setting something up, and I see them sitting there, and I see Jim sitting there, and we hadn't met yet, and Jim, from 100 feet away, I get close to 70 feet away, and Jim just kind of calls out to me, Ralph Lauren, Costco, $14. Now... That was from, as I said, 70, 100 feet away. Ralph Lauren, Costco, $14. Number one, it's exactly right. But I thought when he did that, I got I, as I was approaching, I nodded and smiled because I knew we were going to meet and, and chat about it. But when he said that, when he knew that, when he just threw it out at me, I thought, this guy must be the greatest producer in the history of Hollywood. In case you want to know, what does it take to be a producer? What do you have to know to be a producer? What do you have to say to be a producer? How do you have to handle yourself to be a producer? That's how. To say from 100 feet away to an actor coming to the set the first day of work when you're in production on, well, a big movie, a big movie with a big budget and you're the one running it, and to just say the first thing you say 100 feet away is, Costco, Ralph Lauren, $14. I thought that was pretty neat. I think I I think I liked the guy right off the bat right there. There were movies shot there at Universal, a couple, and I'm, just, I'm intentionally just not mentioning them, because whatever they are, because I was thrilled to be working on them. I was thrilled to know that on days I wasn't working, I could go to my office and write. But Julie Andrews was in a couple of them, and uh, these were the uh, the Princess Bride movies. Why do I keep hesitating? Is it the Princess Diaries movies? And, uh, yeah, I think it's the Princess Diaries. <laughs> well, you know, shouldn't I know actually being in them? But the point is, if you uh, remember, I have never liked someone more than Julie Andrews. If there was someone on Earth who actually deserved to be a real queen. I think it may be her. She was just so much. She's a great actress. She's a great singer, such a great performer in every way. And I had scenes with her that were so much fun and she enjoyed it. It was so much fun chatting with her. And for one of those movies, the second one, I think she was going to be singing. If you remember with Julie Andrews, there was a long time or five years or or seven years or something like that where she hurt her throat and she wasn't allowed to sing anymore. And that was in all the papers of, well, that's it for Julie Andrews singing. She won't be singing anymore. And on this movie, not because they were trying to get her to, not because she was trying to, but she was getting better to the point where she thought she could and then she knew she could. And she was going to be singing for the first time in motion pictures in a long time and on the day she was going to do that i wasn't working that day in the movie either but i went to my office and i knew because i called you know you get to know folks it's nice you know the director and all the assistants and all the friends and i said when what stage you go, is she going to be singing on what time during the day is she going to be singing is it before lunch is it after lunch and when it happened that they were going to shoot that with with Julie Andrews and Anne Hathaway and the, all these folks who were just wonderful to be with. And I went then up to the stage just to watch her sing. And you know what? I wasn't the only one. All these folks who were thought to be such tough people, well, a lot of the producers, a lot of the executives, a lot of the agents, people came the same way I did, just to stand on the side, to stand next to all the folks making the movie and watch Julie Andrews sing for the first time in a long time. And you know what, folks? I love show business, but I don't think I have ever had a better time than that day just watching them rehearse that and then watching her sing and doing it on camera, on film, a couple of times, and then just realizing I was standing in a group of people who at any other time in Hollywood would have killed me. I mean, not, not, not literally, but I mean, there are some tough people who work for these studios and companies, and they were as thrilled as I was just to be watching Julie Andrews sing again. And then at the end of that, as people started just, you know, laughing and congratulating each other, and they had filmed those scenes, and they had gotten all the takes they wanted on them, to walk over to the people you've worked with, to the other actors and just say, hi, good to see you. Oh, hi, Larry. What are you doing? Well, and, and just to say the truth, you know what? I'm, I came to see you sing today, and I'm glad I did. You were wonderful, and I'm just glad to be part of this thing. And she, what, what what a wonderful woman to say something nice back that really makes you feel good and to say, hi, Ann, hi, everybody, and then to say, well, you know, they said, are you coming to lunch? And I said, no, they. I'm just going to grab something at the office and uh And then to walk back to the office and say to yourself, you know what, folks, that's a pretty good day in show business. That's not the fanciest day in the world, but it's the best in the world. Oh, it doesn't mean you're going to win an Oscar for it. And it doesn't mean that, well, the most wonderful, fanciest people in the world are going to say you were great. But I'll tell you what, being part of a movie where you get to go watch that and then where you get to say hi and smile and laugh and then walk back across a studio like Universal and go to an office and, well, try to write something really good, too. You know what? That's a great day in show business. And and I'm glad I had a chance to tell you about that now and to remember, boy, oh, boy, just to watch her sing. Of course, I'm a huge fan, but just to watch her sing with all these other folks standing around doing the same thing I was, well, that's a pretty good day in show business. So I'm glad I had a chance to tell you. And to me, that's, well, that's a magic movie moment, too. So, as always, remember... If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to, and someone there who cares about you... Folks, the game's over and you've won. And that's the absolute truth. And I sure would look forward to seeing Julie Andrews sing again. I hope you do too. We'll see you next time. No horses were injured in the making of this show. We just scare them.